our series. We have been in Matthew for quite some time, and we will soon be heading to the Old Testament. Don't know quite which book yet, but the plan at this time is that after Matthew, we will travel to the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 23. 22, 23 through 33. I hear that Tanika did a tremendous job last week. Thank God that, that when the pastor leads, we can have people that will preach the word and teach the word of God. Don't, don't have a concern about God's word being upheld in this place. I am so grateful for that wonderful staff. This is what it says, Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 23. If you don't have your Bible, you can also follow us on the board. And this is what it says here. It says, The same day Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him, that is Jesus, a question saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So to the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, you are wrong. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Jacob. Excuse me. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Go with me to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 7. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 7. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then chapter 25. This is what it says beginning at verse 5. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in and take her, shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife should go to the gate. I'm going to actually stop there. In fact, I'm not going to. Well, let me just go and just read all the seven. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife should go up to the gate of the to the elders and say. My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. 
he will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. As a title, as a title, it is, do you really want to go there? Do you really want to go there? <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you don't want to go there. People say, you don't want to go there. The title is, do you really want to go there? You will find this same passage in the book of Matthew in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 18 through 27, as well as in the book of Luke, chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. Our first point is titled, Our Turn. Our Turn. If you recall two weeks ago when I was preaching, there are three confrontations that we come to in chapter 22 between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The first was the Pharisees going to Christ with the Herodians and asking him, was it legal to pay taxes to Caesar? We now have a group called the Sadducees who have now come seeing that the Pharisees were silenced. They have taken up the cause and they are now trying to find accusation against Jesus. And so I have entitled point one, because the Sadducees have now come, it is our turn. Point one, our turn. It is believed by some commentators that the question by the Sadducees had been a favorite scenario to discredit and to prove the foolish thinking of people that believed in the resurrection or the afterlife. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> the Sadducees did not believe in angels nor spirits. And so they posed a question to Jesus. In fact, they asked a question based on something they didn't even believe. They want to discredit him. In this first point of our turn, I would have you note that the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not get along. They had opposing views. You've got to recognize and realize that when people, as I have said to you at, at times before, if someone does not like you, and there's another person that does not like you. Do you not know that these two groups will come together or people will come together to oppose you? They will come together and in agreement just to oppose you if they don't like you even more. The Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't like each other. 
And even though the Sadducees were serving as leaders, they didn't get along. But they came together in their opposition against Jesus. The Sadducees, as I said, didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels nor spirits. They didn't believe in the afterlife. We note that they come to Jesus with a question. And under this first point, we note that they use, number one, they use the scripture. They use, number two, or they, I should say, they misquoted scripture. And number three, they use the scripture to actually ridicule Jesus because they thought that it was ridiculous, a ridiculous position for anyone to hold and to believe in the resurrection. Number one, the scripture. The Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Bible. We call the first five books of the Bible the Pentateuch. It is also referred to as the Torah in some context. But the Torah actually refers, depending on the context, to the entirety of the Old Testament. But the Sadducees only believed, or only, I should say, referenced or thought that the first five books were Authentic, and that's all they believe. Not the prophets, not all the others. As the Pharisees we use, they only taught from the Pentateuch. You see, to support one's position and to even further solidify one's wrong thinking, Scripture is often used. Do you not know that when a person wants to make a point, they will often use Scripture to back up what it is that they want to say? Let, let, me, let me tell you this. Scripture does not bow to your own thinking. Scripture stands alone whether you believe it or not. There are a lot of people today that want to somehow have their arguments stand up to the test and they will quote or try to use the Bible as a reference, oftentimes misquoting the Bible. Talk to any unsaved person trying to justify their position about how they basically are good or that there is no hell and how bad things really are and, and the fact that if there is a hell, it's not really that bad. They'll use scripture to try to support their position. The Sadducees had come to confront Jesus after observing the failure of the Pharisees before. And now they say it is our turn to try to trap Jesus. Be careful sharing everything with some people. They will use it as a trap against you. Be careful telling your business to every person because some people just cannot hold their tongue. Before you know it, your business, your personal private business is circulating around your neighborhood. 
Now, you know it can be bad when you say, now, don't tell nobody, and you're telling somebody who's going to be sure to tell somebody. Be careful. Don't, don't, don't even go there. If you know that person's going to tell, don't tell them. Please don't tell nobody. It's going to be told. The Sadducees use a passage in the book of Deuteronomy. And they bring this question to Jesus. Now, some believe that it was an actual situation, but by many commentators, they believe that it is a made-up scenario. They're using Deuteronomy chapter 25, beginning in verse 5. It exposes them actually as hypocrites. That they are that they are, it exposes them as the hypocrites, I should say, that they are, because they have used the Bible wrongly and without understanding. They have attempted to use a passage meant for life on this earth. In the book of Deuteronomy, which is entitled, when we say Deuteronomy, the second law, We have the law given by Moses, but then we have when that first generation died off and the second generation is going to be going into the promised land, we have the second law being given by Moses to the children about what God expects as they enter the promised land. And so we have the book of Deuteronomy. And in this book of Deuteronomy, there was a provision that said if two brothers are living together, God was very interested and very, it was very important to have the family of Israel, families and the tribes not go out of existence so that if a brother had married a woman and died leaving no children, the brother was to marry the, the, his brother's wife in order to have children, the first son, to have his name carried on so that his name would not Um, be vanished or would disappear from the tribes of Israel, that his name would be able to continue. And this would be the passage that they are attempting to bring to Jesus. But you see, because they did not believe in the resurrection, their, their, their question actually comes in such a way as a trap. Because they think that they're going to be able to have Jesus fall from the good graces of the people. And so they use this scripture wrongly. This passage was dealing specifically with what happens on this side of eternity if a brother dies leaving no children. It was what the law said that was the responsibility to carry on the name. And what they do... They take this passage and try to extend it into the resurrection and to something that they, in fact, did not even believe. So they started from the very beginning wrong, and therefore their reasoning and reasoning and their conclusion will be wrong. You see, if you start from the wrong premise, you're going to actually draw a wrong conclusion. If you start off from the wrong premise, the steps that you are traveling down may not lead you to the right outcome. There are many people today that when you begin to talk to them, their thinking actually starts off wrong. 
And it's only by the grace of God that helps us and changes our mind that he allows us to see the light of his word. You never come to an understanding of God's word according to your own understanding. You don't have the ability to understand God unless he sheds light on you and gives you insight and gives you wisdom. His wisdom. So you have no right to stick out your chest and say, look at me and look at what God has given me. I'm all that. No, you're not. We're nothing without him. But with him, the Bible says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So the first thing that they do, they use scripture. The second thing that we note in this first point, they misquote the scriptures. They misquote scripture. We note that they are misquoting God's word. People who don't believe in God or believe something that clearly the Bible teaches or that the Bible teaches often misquotes the Bible. When they are trying to make their point, they are often misquoting the word of God. When you are trying to support a position that you hold and it doesn't line up with scripture, I don't care how many passages in the Bible you go to, you will be misquoting scripture. The Bible is not meant to prop up your arguments. It is meant to honor and to uplift Jesus. And the word of God is given for us in order to live by. You see, our lives conform to the word of God. God's word does not conform to you. And so people that don't know God often are misquoting the scripture. And this is what these individuals do here. They misquote The word of God. Up to this point, we have the Sadducees being able to misquote the Bible, and it appears, get away from it, get away with it. You remember, if they are leaders, all through this time, they have been wrongly dividing the word of God, and now they come to the Logos. They come to the the Greek, the word Logos. They come to the very word. The Logos is Jesus Christ. And they come to him trying to trap him who is the word. You can't trap Jesus who is after the word of God and gave the word to Abraham and gave the word to Moses, gave the word of God. He is the word. And here they are coming trying to trap him. And so they misquote the Bible. They're coming, they're going to have to come up with another gotcha question because what they come up with ain't going to be able to work. They've been using this argument evidently for quite some time to try to prove there's no resurrection. There, there, there was a woman who had a husband and he died. And, 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 and then she, the, the husband died and then the next brother married her. He died without any children. Down to the third and on down the road. And now the question, now who, whose wife will she be in the resurrection since they all had her? They don't believe in the resurrection. So you already know they're coming with the trap. Their question is flawed, but you can't trap Jesus. Can't trap him. Be careful. Be careful. Hear this all the time. They say money is the root of all evil. That's what they say. So excuse me. Money is no, the Bible says, the love of money. Do you not know that people will do anything for money? Have you ever watched those American greed shows? 
if you, if you look at some of those shows on 58, you would be surprised what people will do who love money. They may start off very innocently and start off correctly and right, doing something right, but sooner or later they'll see that they were able to get a wrong, with, they're able to get by with something. And before you know it, they have started and have been involved with some type of scheme that begins to build people out of millions. Love money. The love of money is the root. Not money. And so when people try to say money is the root of all evil, no, no. When God made things, he did not make anything evil. It's how we use it. Do you not know what, what you have, the things that you do? God gives it for you to honor him. God gives you life so that your life will honor him. Your life does not even belong to you. You see, you can never have a got you question with Jesus. Jesus already knows your thinking. He knows all things. And so they have this, this question and they think that they're going to be able to trap Jesus and be able to bring him down. The third thing that we note is that we note under the first point that they really were ridiculing Scripture to support something that they did not believe in. They were ridiculing scripture. They were ridiculing the Bible. Do you not know when people oftentimes use the Bible, they're really making fun of it? When they even try to, try to hide behind it, when they're trying to make a point, those who don't know the Lord? They're actually ridiculing the Bible because they don't believe the word of God. And so we note in this third point that they're ridiculing the Bible. They already believed that if anybody believed the resurrection, they thought that that person was foolish. If you believe in the resurrection, they thought it was nonsense. The, the Sadducees came from a group that were the, the aristocrats. They, they were way up there. They were in the, the high priest, and so they loved their positions. But they hated Jesus. How can you be a leader of God's people and hate Jesus? Can you imagine having them as your teacher? You trying to get to heaven and they tell you that this life is all there is and you ain't got to worry about anything else? Can you imagine having them as your teacher and they're telling you you ain't got to worry about hell or the afterlife and don't even worry about heaven? Just go for it right now. This is it. As Jesus and this group is in front of the larger crowd, this would be the Sadducees' reigning moment if they're able to get Jesus because Jesus would look bad in front of the group and they would be able to disprove that there really is no resurrection. Point number two, the reply from the master. The reply from the master. And that first point, it would be taken from Matthew 22, 23 through 28. And this next passage from Matthew 22, beginning at 29. The Lord wastes no time. The first thing he says, you are wrong. You know, when we want to tell somebody that they're wrong, we kind of, well, it, it really can be this done this way. Or this is how Jesus says, you're wrong. Why? 
because their intent and their focus is trying to trap him. He doesn't beat around the bush. He says, you're wrong. He says that they're wrong. In uh, 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 fact, in two areas, they're wrong because they didn't understand the scriptures, and they're wrong because they don't understand the power of God. Now, you know you're in bad shape when you don't understand the scriptures that God has given, and you're trying to teach people. And the second thing, when you don't understand God's power. Jesus does not spend time trying to convince you that there is a God. He doesn't spend time trying to just go through all these things that you ought to believe because. He just assumes. When you look at the Bible, the Bible just assumes and it takes for granted there is a God. People got to do a lot of convincing of themselves to try to not believe God. A lot of convincing that things aren't true. You've got to, you got to convince yourself. Jesus doesn't waste time trying to go through all this stuff, trying to convince. Takes it for granted. He says, you're wrong because you don't understand the scriptures that they thought they understood. And second, they don't understand the power of God. The reply that comes from Jesus Christ should really make us think when we approach him in this way. Do you really want to go there? Do you really want to go there with Jesus? Do you really want to have that type of confrontation with him? The Sadducees are told in front of the crowd by Jesus that they are wrong and that they have no clue about who God is nor his power. Then the Lord actually then describes the very thing that they did not believe. The resurrection and a glimpse of who we are compared to, Jesus goes into regarding the angels. The Lord in his description, actually, he rejects for, for them their belief that there is no resurrection. And their question prompts Jesus to in fact talk about the fact that there is a resurrection. And the fact of the matter is that those who go to heaven are like the angels. This is a depiction and a showing of the Lord to them of what happens when one is in the resurrection or what happens when a person is in heaven. Jesus' statement conclusively reveals that there is life after this earth and that those who are going to heaven are like the angels. What they do, you will have your full capacity to think and understand. In fact, your mind will be so crisp, so your understanding so clear. And so while they are trying to come up with this gotcha question, Jesus says that you are wrong on two points. First of all, you're wrong in your understanding of Scripture, and you're wrong in that you don't know the power of God. The Lord takes it as a matter of fact in their question and in their trap. This is an important message for us to understand that relationships in heaven are different and that we are like angels in heaven. Do you not know that when you leave this life here, that that is not the end? While they may have been talking and teaching that once one leaves this earth, it's over, 
the Lord confirms that it is not the end. We are like the angels in heaven. There is no marrying nor giving in marriage. Our roles are different. People are saying, I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to be married. No, no, no. Roles are different. Then the Lord does something interesting. He goes and he, he goes right back to the passage of Moses that they had been using. Now they bring to Jesus a question from the scriptures that they had misunderstood. And in Jesus' response to them, he goes to the scriptures and brings up Moses. The Lord says, have you not read? The God says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And I am the God of Jacob. When he said this, he says, in fact, let's, let's read it. Let's pick up in verse, I believe it's 31. I want you to see this. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. You see, what the Lord does in this passage, he takes a passage and brings it to the proper understanding and proper interpretation. If Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead, the Lord would have said, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what the Lord does, he uses the present tense and says, I am God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when he does this, it has to make them scratch their head and the people's eyes open and their mouths drop open because the argument that the group had been bringing and had been teaching to disprove the resurrection, to disprove that people die and there is no afterlife, that God, when he says, I am the God of these individuals, the present, it gave the people a new understanding and it says that these individuals actually are still alive. God is not the God of the past for them. He's the God of the present. And when he did this and said this, their whole scenario that they had been using about if a brother dies and his wife is there and, and, and then the next brother is supposed to take the wife, what, what, what he does here, he tosses that all to the side. He breaks down their argument. And he now focuses on the fact that God talks about being the God of those who are still alive, even though they are not here on this earth. And if their whole premise had been to basically undermine the word of God by trying to show there is no resurrection, the Lord properly shows them that God is the God of the present. 
And so the group that here comes to Jesus, these Sadducees, they are silenced. The word in the Greek silence means to muzzle. They are muzzled. They cannot say anything. They're speaking. They're muzzled. And what you have now is you have the people who have been taught by these individuals who now have been able to hear a proper interpretation of the word of God. When the Lord says, I am the God of. I am, I am, I am the God of. It breaks down all arguments. It breaks down all confrontation. The Sadducees have been exposed. They tried to go there, but Jesus exposes them. Be careful, as I told you, trying to expose the Lord. That brings us to a close. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, again, coming back later to try to trap him can never be a match for the word of God, can never be a match for the Logos, for Christ. They are not a match. And when they keep coming trying to trap him, it reveals the true nature of who they are. They really are haters of that which is righteous, of that which is good. Let me say this. There are going to be a lot of surprised people at the resurrection, at the judgment. A lot of people that will be saying, I thought, I, 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 I believed. But, but if we don't take God's word and really apply it to our lives, we, we will be deceived. Now, there are things in the Bible that's most difficult to understand, absolutely. There are so many different things where people have different uh, um, beliefs on in regards to those things that are Sometimes there's the secondary, but there are certain passages that are hard, hard to, un, to understand. But, but one of the things that God does is that he sends and gives the Holy Spirit for those that are his that helps to shed light on God's word, gives us understanding. But when we look at people who try to misrepresent and misinterpret God's word, there is no hope. If a person is really seeking God's word and really wants to know and begins to, to study and begins to look into the word of God, the Lord does something tremendous. He begins to reveal himself. You begin to go, oh, that, that's what that means. I never understood that. Or that passage had a special meaning to me. But you can never trap Jesus in his own words. You can never trap Jesus because you're trying to get over on him. And this group here really shows the fact that they really have no intent on repenting. They're not, they're not looking to repent. The Lord is not baffled by people's questions. If you've got honest questions, the Lord is not intimidated by your questions. Ask it, Lord, I'm having a hard time believing. It's okay because you're earnestly and, and you are honestly seeking. But those who try to misrepresent have no standing before the Almighty. Almighty God. Do you really want to go there? <laughs> they really didn't want to go there. They thought they did. But they are exposed. And we must never forget that even in this passage here, as the Lord is dealing with them, he is still heading to the cross. 
He is still on his way. Let me say this in conclusion. There were some Pharisees and Sadducees who really actually came to the Lord. There were some who actually repented. Not, not, not all, not many, but there were some who believed. But the bottom line is that most of them, many of them I should say, were the ones who hated Christ and were always trying to discredit him, his ministry, and before the people. But as I conclude, God's word always stands. It will never fade away. His word is eternal. His word was here before you came on the scene. His word will be here long after you depart this scene. If you want to have an impact and make an impact for the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of ridiculing the word of God. It's a matter of of saying, Lord, what is it that you are trying to say to me in this passage? What are you trying to say to me? And earnestly beginning to seek him. And I tell you this, if you're going to be with the Lord forever, well, it makes sense to get as much learning as you can now that you go through the passages and to learn this and to learn the scriptures because this is the word of God that helps us to live life for his glory. Can't do it on your own. Can't say, oh, the Bible is just too hard for me. I just don't, I just don't, I just don't read the Bible. It's just too hard for me. No, it's God's word and the Holy Spirit comes to help us. Would you bow your head, please, and would you stand? Actually, would you stand? Jesus cannot be trapped. The Lord will honestly answer your questions. He's not intimidated by questions you may have. He's the Lord who loves people, but he does expose those who are trying to ridicule him and his word. He'll expose. But if you've got honest questions, the Lord is not intimidated. He loves to answer your questions. He loves to show you who he is. And today, Lord, we pray that as we depart this place, That you will give us a mind to delve into the very word of God. So that the word of the Lord will peel back our hearts and the layers and expose and help us in the areas that we need help in. That we will be open to you. That we won't be angry with you because we don't understand. But that, God, we will ask for understanding. We will say, would you, would you help us? We do pray that you will help us and open the word to us in ways that we have never known before. May we not be as the religious leaders trying to come together to find an occasion and a reason to disbelieve. But may we be the ones that are searching and diligently searching the scriptures so that we may believe. Because the scriptures speak of Christ. They're all about Christ. Today we honor you for the word and we thank you for blessing us. We thank you that you have given life and you have given life more abundantly. 
We thank you that you have prepared a place for us to be with you. That you're going to change our very nature. You're going to help us. Bless us. Be with us. Today we honor you that we don't have to try to make it up on our own. We don't have to try to create things. But no, all we have to do is allow the word of God to be the word for us to be submissive to your word. We love you. We honor you. Help those who have not said yes to the Lord to say yes. Give me one minute and I'm going to let you go. Is there anybody in this place who's saying, you know, I've, I've, I've wanted to say yes to God, and, but I've always been scared because I didn't know what it was all about. Eyes closed. Is there anyone, if you would you could stick, stick your hand up in the air and back down, I'll pray for you. I'll contact you. Say, I, I want to know this Savior. I want to know this God. I want to know him, but I, I, I'm scared. I don't know what it all means. Anybody, I'll pray for you. We'll sit down. We'll talk. We honor you today, Lord, as we leave this place. We pray that you will lead us and guide us. We give your name all the glory. Thank you for blessing us today. Keep us safe as we travel. Bring us back safely Wednesday, Tuesday in Petaluma. Bless us. And may we be a blessing to people. We lift up those in the flood areas, those dealing with the hurricanes. We're praying for families and people, Lord, and friends. We're praying for those that we don't even know personally. We lift them up before you. God, you will continue to help and show yourself merciful. May people, even through all the devastation, come to know Christ as Savior. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.